The Secret World Chronicle, a podcast novel series written by Mercedes Lackey, Dennis Lee, Cody Martin, and Veronica Jaguer. Presenting Season 6, Revolutions. Obsessions. Written by Mercedes Lackey and Cody Martin. What do you mean she's dead? Dominic Verdigree looked up from his desk's display, sweeping his hand to hide the windows. This was annoying more than anything. He had completely lost his train of thought on a personnel selection. He hated to be interrupted when he was working, even on trivial things such as this. Well? Kanjar pursed her lips. She was alive, and now she's dead. I thought that much would have been obvious, Dom. Verdigree had first found her by chance, years ago, and had tagged the file on her in case he ever needed someone like her. Rachel Hillier was a Las Vegas native who had never held a real job in her life. It had occurred to Verd that one day he might need a precog, but genuine precogs were hard to find and generally flaky. It wasn't a talent that was at all reliable, and those who had it were prone to mental instability. Matthew March had just been the most extreme example of the type. Verd treasured efficiency, and precogs were inefficient in the amount of resources you needed to devote to them relative to payoff. He needed reliability. The sort of reliability that allowed someone to live off their talent and never actually work. So he wrote a series of algorithms and statistics tests, looking for people who held no jobs, cross-correlated with people with a very comfortable income, those that were always in the right place and time during disasters, people who consistently won lotteries, won enough at casino gambling to bring in substantial money without triggering the cheating safeguards, and people who never lost in the stock market. Finally, after a lot of number crunching, one name fell out. Rachel Hillier. In her late twenties, she brought in about 40000 a month in a combination of lottery wins, scratch card wins, and casino wins. She had never had an accident, had a perfect driving record, on the day of the invasion had been in Pahrump, Nevada, rather than Las Vegas, allegedly looking at a used car. She was very careful. She made sure never to strike it rich in the same place twice and never got too much. She wasn't too greedy. It helped her to stay off of the radar of the nice men in tailored suits that were behind the management of the casinos. If there ever was attention drawn to her, she was always able to slip away at the last moment, knowing exactly what to do and where to go. There were some very close calls, however. Unexpected changes, wild cards thrown in, new variables at the last possible minute, they seemed to trip her up. And that's how Verdigree figured her out. Failing being able to convince or coerce that angel, he needed someone who could do what she could do. And it wouldn't hurt to have both. So his first job was to acquire Hillier, his second to figure out how to boost her abilities, and his third, the Angel Project. The acquisition part was easy. She'd skated close enough to the surface of getting caught that all he had to do was wait until she walked into a casino he owned. He only owned a few, bought on a lark a few years ago. Using some more number crunching, 
Verdigree figured out the three most likely casinos that Rachel was going to visit next, and bought all three of them, quietly. It was the easiest solution, considering everything, especially when you left the existing management structure intact. She struck on a Friday at the second casino. It was called the Golden Something or Other. He had thought about renaming to something ironic, but that would have signaled a change in management, and he didn't want that. He didn't want to scare her away. This should all be part of her comfort zone. Places she knew, places she thought she knew well enough not to have to think twice about. Once he had his agents confirm that she was inside and following her usual routine, he waited. Verdigree had gone to lengths to make sure that everything inside of the casino was business as usual. The slightest change might throw a wrench into his plans and send Rachel running. She went about the casino floor, seemingly stopping at random among the slot machines. There was no pattern to where she stopped, varying from quarter to dollar machines, and her payouts never went high enough to trigger the jackpot. She took her payslips to a different cashier each time. He had to admire her cleverness. All it took was five coins. She'd get an instant payout, she'd cash out and move on, and, by keeping her wins modest, never triggering the automatic IRS agent who was always waiting in the casino to claim the government share. Within a couple hours, she probably had $5,000. Do that eight nights in a month, and you had a very nice income. Springing the trap he had set for her was no small task. All of the security staff had to be briefed at the very last moment, without giving away exactly who the target was. But as soon as she entered the casino, he made sure that everything was quietly locked down. Verdigree had kept all of the security personnel and pit bosses on their usual rotations on the floor. Nothing could seem out of place. He waited until she had passed close to several of them. No one knew when they'd be looking for someone or who that someone would be. After the fifth one, he radioed the next person she would pass by. The radio message instructed him to grab the nearest person. That so happened to be Rachel. No warning, no premeditation, no pattern to be followed. Verdigree watched through the security monitors with a quiet satisfaction. Miss, the security guard said, the standard speech when a cheater had been caught. I am afraid you are going to have to come with me. Rachel knew better than to object or argue. Casino security's word was law in Vegas. Making a fuss was guaranteed to get you thrown out and banned for life. If she went quietly, there was a chance she could wiggle out of it, or at least only end up getting banned from this casino, and not every casino in Vegas. Now Verd spoke into the radio. Take her to the special office. The way this was supposed to go was that the suspected cheater would be taken to the security area, questioned, and perhaps if they denied everything, video footage would be shown to them. Most times, unless they made a big deal out of it, any money they had won would be confiscated, and they would be told not to come back. If they raised a fuss, well, that was when the Vegas cops got called, unless there was no way of actually proving that cheating had taken place. 
most casinos didn't care if a cheater went to another casino, so long as it wasn't one in their franchise. But the penalty for denying everything, if nothing could be proved, was generally getting your face sent to every casino in town. Facial recognition software then ensured that you could never work your scheme again. Of course, Rachel was going to get a very different sort of treatment. They left her in a chair in the center of the office, completely alone for about thirty minutes. This was to allow her time to wonder in how deep a vat of shit she really was. When Verd saw her start to sweat, he sent the manager in. You've been really careful, Miss Hillier, but you finally waltzed into the wrong dance floor. How did you know my... We've had suspicions, he interrupted, about your little scam. You've made quite a living for yourself these past few years for hardly any effort. Isn't that right? He paced in front of her, making a show of inspecting his fingernails. But no one is lucky forever. The house always wins, one way or another. What do you— Your cheat, Miss Hillier. It took us quite a while and a lot of analysis— but the numbers don't lie. Your mistake was that you never, ever lost. You're a metahuman. He smirked. Rachel started to look alarmed. You're using telekinesis to trip the relays. We can probably prove it, but we don't have to. First, we are going to teach you a little lesson. Then we are going to send your videos and pictures to every other casino in Las Vegas and in Reno, just so you don't think you can move down the road a couple of hours. You can't do this! She was panicking now. I it's illegal! Illegal? Everything was illegal at one point or another. That's never stopped the house from making money on it, Miss Hillier. He took off his jacket, setting it on a nearby table. So the question is, how many fingers do you want to walk out of here with? I am an accommodating man. He took a step towards her, a grin creeping across his face. When the manager was less than a stride away from her, his radio squelched. He plucked it from his belt in annoyance. Yes, I'm in the middle of something. Something unintelligible to Rachel came through the speaker, but she could see that the manager's demeanor had changed drastically. He shifted uneasily, looking back at her. Wait here. Replacing the radio on his belt, he scooped up his jacket and hurried out the door, slamming it behind him. After what seemed like an eternity to Rachel, but was in fact only two minutes, the door opened again. She was terrified, shaking like a frightened rabbit, choking back pitiful sobs. She didn't dare look at who had walked in. A handkerchief suddenly dangled in front of her face. She was startled into silence for a few moments. Warily, she looked up. A man in a very expensive-looking suit stood in front of her, smiling. Not the same shark smile that the manager had, but one with genuine warmth and compassion. Good afternoon, ma'am. My name is Dominic Verdigree III. 
I noticed you out on the floor. I have a keen eye for talent, you see. Once I saw your predicament, I decided to step in. He chuckled mostly to himself. You could say I have a certain pull with the management here. Anyways, I think I might have a proposition for you that would be mutually beneficial for the both of us. You get to keep all of your fingers, and both of us get rich. Does that sound good to you? At this point, anything that didn't involve a beating and being forced to move across the country sounded appealing. But as with all things, there would be strings attached, and she'd only get thrown to the wolves again if this man thought she was something she wasn't. I'm not a telekineticist, she said, wiping her eyes. He chuckled again. Of course you aren't. Remember, I said I had an eye for talent. And I have a specific need of someone like you. He extended his hand to her. So, are you in, Rachel? May I call you Rachel? Well, what choice did she have? She figured she was safe and yet she'd been caught. She could move across the country and this might happen again, but without the white knight showing up at the last minute. All right, she said, shaking his hand. After all, how bad could it be? Well, that certainly puts a kink in things, and not the fun kind, Verd scowled. Was there any damage to the device? What was done with the body? There was some damage, Kanjar said, reading from her PDA. Evidently there was thrashing, a seizure of some sort, and screaming. One of the techs is apparently somewhat traumatized. The body has been removed to the lab for autopsy. Unfortunate about the equipment. His scowl deepened. I put some of it together while... I don't know, sleepworking or something. I had fallen asleep in the workshop, and when I woke up it was done. Haven't been able to figure out how the hell I did it. See that the report on the autopsy comes to me directly, of course. Oh, and make sure the technician is taken care of, best care possible with one of our doctors. If he can't be discreet or made to be discreet with treatment, make sure he's taken care of permanently. Whatever your fancy is on that part. Kanjar nodded, tapped a few things on the PDA, and closed it. Well, do you wish to launch a search for a replacement subject? Verdigree looked up from his desk, his thoughts obviously having drifted already. What? No, no time for that. The search I ran found her to be our most stable and reliable candidate. No one else that I found was as strong for what it's worth. We're moving on. After I check the equipment, I'll send it to storage. Vert closed up the last panel, irritated and frustrated. There was nothing wrong with the equipment. Everything checked out. Had it been the protocol? He had been attempting to use Rachel Hillier's predictive ability to feel out not just the immediate future as it related to her, but potential futures further out than a few seconds or a minute. Days, months, years. 
The computers he had set up were supposed to interface directly with her own brain, to augment her in a variation of the whole brain-in-a-box idea. Or maybe more like the wet dreams of the cyberpunks. Essentially, to focus her ability and make sense of the inevitable jumble that would follow. Her predictive ability relied upon stimuli. If you gave her no stimuli to form patterns off of, she wouldn't be able to see what was happening. The system he'd set up force-fed her stimuli, essentially. Part of it included an induced coma, a truly potent cocktail of nootropic drugs, and microelectric shocks. Something had gone wrong, though. From all of the evidence, it wasn't the machine that killed her. It had been set up to keep up with Rachel. The more information she could take, the more it would give her. Looked as if he would have to wait on the autopsy to tell him why she failed, or... Hmm. Didn't he have a scion somewhere in the building? A telepath? He always made sure he had one on hand. Utterly loyal, of course, with safeguards in place to make sure that his mind was sacrosanct. Maybe something got picked up. A quick check gave him the first bit of good news he'd had. The tech that was traumatized was his telepath, so chances were good the scion got something. No leaving this to random questioners. He'd go down to sickbay himself and find out. But as soon as he cleared the door, the fellow literally shot off the exam table, flung himself across the room, and grabbed his arm. You can do a wipe, right? I want a wipe. I'll debrief, but after that, I want a wipe. You've got to do a wipe. For a moment, Vertigree was stunned. Two security guards were right behind the tech and pulled him off of their boss. Vertigree could see the pleading in the man's eyes. If he was offered a bullet right now, he'd probably take it. He nodded slowly, and the tech broke down into long sobs. She saw it all. She saw everything, everything at once. It burned her up, and it's going to make me explode. Then there now, all of it. She got everything, all in a few seconds. And she screamed. God, it was horrible. It just cut through everything. I thought she would never stop screaming, and then she did. The tech couldn't manage coherent speech after that, just broken syllables mixed with sobs. Verd nodded at the medics. Get him sedated and give him procedure 342. One of his own, of course. It wiped out short-term memory. It wasn't a total brain wipe. That would have to wait. Verd wanted to see if merely wiping the short-term memory would solve the trauma without losing some of the data. There might be something he could salvage out of this. As the tech continued to sob, though it seemed now it was with relief. Verd left. So, the machine hadn't broken Rachel. Rachel had broken the machine. It ran itself out trying to feed her new stimuli through the relays, kaboom, shortly after she expired. Evidently, there was no way that the human mind could see all of the futures at once and still stay sane. He had the feeling that when the autopsy report came back, the cause of death would be aneurysm, or at least look suspiciously like one. Maybe a metahuman scion, but... No. No, Matthew March had been a metahuman as well as a scion. 
and he'd set fire to himself rather than live with what was in his head. Probably the only thing that could survive that sort of barrage and make sense of it would be a precognitive with a relative time dilation talent. In other words, an Op 4. Even an Op 5, if there was such a thing. Which left him only one option. The one creature he knew that could do everything he wanted, but was certainly not going to be as easy as Miss Hellier to bring into the company. Back to Plan A. Angel napping. Kanji would have a cow. Better not to tell her. This might be just the thing for people's blade to be set upon. She seemed to love impossible tasks. He queued up his PDA, this time using voice. Nothing for Kanji to accidentally run across that way. Good thing his PA knew when to keep her trap shut. Miss Grancher, would you please send a nicely worded invitation on the appropriately respectful stationery to People's Blade for a meeting at her earliest convenience? Kanjar does not need to be informed. Sir, the PA said before he could disconnect, you need to supply a new head of Echo Medical. Oh, right. I had completely forgotten. That's what he had been originally working on before the unfortunate business with Rachel had cropped up. He opened a new window on his PDA, scanning through the files linked from his desk computer. Let's see. This one. Bella Dawn Parker. Send the relevant paperwork to my desk. You know the drill, Miss Grancher. He had to grin at that a little. She wasn't an M.D. She was a rebel against the rules, and on top of that, her chief claim to fame was as the fanboy's fave hottie from the Sexy Healers of Echo calendar. He could justify the promotion on the basis of Echo needing a fresh take and a friendly, well-known face. She would have everyone mad at her within twenty-four hours of taking the desk. In forty-eight, Echo Medical would be in chaos. And as soon as his plan to weed out the troublemakers moved into high gear, they would be losing matters almost as soon as they hit triage. At least one thing had gone right today. This has been Revolutions, Season 6 of The Secret World Chronicle. The Secret World Chronicle is narrated and produced by Veronica Jaguer, with music by Kevin McLeod from Incompetech.com. Find us at www.secretworldchronicle.com, like us on Facebook, and circle us on Google+. And as always, thank you for listening.